Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. Those of you in the room, those of you joining us online, we are glad to have you with us today. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that whenever we gather together, whether in person, whether virtually, uh, that, uh, that the Lord meets us here, that he meets us in the reality that we live in. Uh, right here, right with whatever we've got going on, whether you're excited about the Super Bowl and you just can't wait for that, whether you can't even think about the Super Bowl because of so many other things weighing on your mind and heart today, uh, God meets us right where we are. And that's one of the beautiful things about uh, Christianity, about this faith, about this God that we worship. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us enough uh, to not only give us life, but then to, to stay with us, <laughs> to, uh, to continue to, to guide us and to lead us and um, to care enough about us that when we find ourselves in the messes that we make, you don't abandon us to them, but instead you meet us right here. That's what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, has met us in the midst of the mess that we had made, to shine your light into our darkness, to bring uh, healing and life where we had brought sickness and death. Thank you, God, that today we don't have to hide anything from you or sweep anything under the rug to show up for a worship service. Instead, we can bring all of who we are into this moment with you so that throughout this hour we can be honest with you about what's going on in our hearts and minds and, and trust that you will meet us here full of grace, full of truth, full of compassion, full of love. So today, God, we offer you all that we have, all that we bring with us, and we are so grateful that you meet us here in the songs that we sing, in the prayers that we pray, in the scriptures that we read, in the table of our Lord Jesus. You meet us here, and we are so grateful. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here in the room, if you'd like, uh, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Good morning. I'm so glad you guys joined us. Please sing, say, or pray these words with us this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Grace of God, 
we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is
He deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice and tell all the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, amen, amen. and praise the Lord. Pray with me, will you? Lord, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, you are worthy of our praise, the only one worthy of our praise. We thank you, Father, for meeting us here, for being here before anyone even arrived. You were expecting us. You were anticipating us. You couldn't wait for us to be here so that we could be in your presence. Father, I thank you for being that kind of a God, for being a God who wants to know us more than anything else, wants to rescue us, wants to save us, wants to redeem us. Lord, it's all you desire for us. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I give you the glory for that. Father, I thank you for each and every person who has joined us here in this building, who's joining us online now. I thank you for each person that will be, that will be touched by the message this morning at some other time other than right in this moment. Father, you have given the message to Greg this morning. It's not an accident. It's not coincidence. Lord, it was on purpose. It has been designed by you, and I thank you, Father, that you have done that this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will be in the rest of this service, that we would hear from you very clearly, that you would guide us and direct us into our action steps going forward from here. You are a good Father. You are a good God, and I thank you. I praise you. I give you all the glory this morning and every day from here on out for as long as I live and beyond. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. We're waving. We're not mingling yet, so wave at somebody you know across the sanctuary or at your table. And while we're doing that, Pastor Rich is going to come with some announcements. Thank you, Pastor Judy, and, and uh, thank you, Highsaw family, for leading us musically today. It's, it's, uh, we, are, we are blessed by all of you guys who are willing to lead us uh, musically so we, can, so we get to sing to God uh, on Sunday morning. It's fun. So, and uh, yeah, I'm glad, glad for all of you guys who are here today, uh, especially those of you sporting your uh, sportswear, cheering for the... Uh, who, who's cheering for the Bengals today? Can I just see a quick show of hands? Anybody cheering for the Bengals? If, if you have you. Anybody cheering for the Rams? Anybody cheering... What, one person brave enough to say, yeah, oh, a couple of you cheering for the Rams, really. Okay, and that's why you're sitting over there and they're sitting over there. Okay, now we know. Now we know. <laughs> um, just by way of announcements today, uh, obviously those of you in the room, at, at any point you can grab one of those little green cards and let us know how to pray for you or thank God with you and drop it in the, bas in the box back there along with any gift that you're giving today. Uh, all of us, uh, including those of us watching online, can also go to livinghope.info slash connect, fill out the digital version of that, and uh, share with us how we can be praying for you or thanking God with you. Um, and uh, sorry, all of a sudden, we're not going to pray for the outcome of the game. Uh, I'm not anyway. So just that it'll be fun and safe and that we'll all enjoy it. Um, 
but then uh, you can give online as well. And there are a couple other things that are still going on. Uh, we're in the midst of our annual broad drive for Free the Girls, and Pastor Greg Arthur is going to be here in just a minute to talk with us about that and share with us some stories about uh, the difference that those bras make around the world. Uh, and also, then, uh, the season of Lent is right around the corner. That's that season of 40 days that leads us up to Easter, starts March 2nd. And if you want to get one of these little devotional guides, we have bought them, so you don't have to. So you can just grab one on the table on the way out. I know we've got enough for one per family. Uh, we might... In the next couple of weeks, find out that we've got enough for, for you to take, you know, each of you to take one or something like that. We'll see how many of you grab them. So if you want one of these, uh, these are good. They're written by uh, Pastor Jaron Rowell, who's the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City, has been a pastor for years and years. And um, yeah, it's good. So if you've enjoyed the past devotional books that we've done during the season of Lent and Advent, uh, you'll enjoy this as well. And then uh, in a couple of Sundays, we've got our annual all-church meeting in between the services. So at 10 o'clock, uh, those of you at 9, you can just stick around. And I think Last year, I think we just kind of left the cameras rolling, and if you're watching online, you could just stick around for that meeting, um, because it's like 15, 20 minutes in between the services before the 1030 service then starts, and uh, so yeah, so that's coming in, in a couple of weeks. That's where we vote on the church board, and we catch you up on how the church is doing uh, with finances and mission and all the different things that are going on, so if you want to be a part of that, uh, that'd be great, and if you haven't yet gone through like the Living Hope 101 and committed to being a member here and you'd like to, please let me know. Jump me a note, send me a text, put, put that on one of those connect cards or something. And uh, we will make that happen between now and then um, so that you can vote on that. Uh, don't worry, we won't rope you into serving on the church board that quickly, all right? But, um, but in the future, if you wanted to serve in that way, then, then you'd be eligible too. But All right, uh, I'm excited to hear from Greg Arthur. I've known Greg for uh, how many years now have you been in Chester? 13 years? Dang, okay, time flies. And, uh, and so this is the first time we've been able to get him here to preach. We've had some of his associate pastors here. Melissa Bruce has come and preached a couple of times. And uh, so we've been thrilled with that. But yeah, uh, as he's making his way up, we've got a short little video about Free the Girls and some of the impact that's made. When I was 13 years old, my father was killed. I'm the oldest of my siblings. Growing up, my mother wasn't there. She was selling herself to provide for us. Without a family near, the games came and gave us shelter. They became my family, but then they became my abusers. Countless times a night, I was sold for the profit. Soon, this became all I knew. It was Angel that I had my first child. And it was there that I found God. And when I left prison, it was a chance for a new beginning. I began to sell bras. My name is Maria. And this is my business. Free the Girls para nosotros. Free the Girls is setting women free. There is more fear in El Salvador right now than during the war. Studies show that our country has the highest rate of homicides in the world for women and children. The situation is complicated. However, 
as women, we learn to live with fear and we also survive. One of the ways in which we help is by teaching the women how to make an income to provide for themselves and for their children. Why brass? Because we know that women will be comfortable working with other women. The women have different ways of growing their business. Some of them use WhatsApp, while others go to the local markets. Some girls already own their own shops. We also teach them how to manage their profits. Our goal is for the women to become independent. We want the women to know that regardless of what they have faced, they have an opportunity for a new future. Free the girls means freedom from slavery. For me, freedom means safety, security. I'm so grateful for the program Free the Girls. Because of them, I was able to provide for my sister while she was sick with cancer. I want my kids to have something I didn't have. My dream is to have a bigger store, to have more customers and grow my business. Freedom to me means free like the birds, flying. Check, check. Hey, there we go. All right. Uh, it is really great to be with you this morning. Uh, I have uh, been great fans and uh, very thankful from Living Hope uh, from all the way down in Chesterton uh, over these many years. And Rich has been a dear friend. And uh, uh, Rich is actually linked to the story that, of how I ended up in Northwest Indiana. So I blame him for a lot uh, within that. Uh, but I do want to talk to you about Free the Girls and um, our, the bra selling program and why we collect and why you guys have been partners with all these years and what that impact has made. But before we do that, I want to uh, take us on a bit of a journey towards understanding why the work we do matters and why we do what we do in the way we do it. So let's, let's go back to sort of the beginning a little bit within this. So uh, back in my day, right, back in, in the ancient days when Rich and I were children, and um, we didn't have the convenience of memes, right? If you wanted to make a joke, a pop culture reference that other people would get, you had to assume they had seen this movie or TV show or something, right? And if you were going to make a joke, that they would get it. So you're, 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 you had a limited amount of things you could make jokes about. But one of the safest ones from my childhood, unquestionably, was The Princess Bride, right? No matter what, you could make a Princess Bride joke or reference, everybody would get it and you would make sense. Now, I'm glad this has translated on to the next generations, that my children now have seen The Princess Bride too, and they can get what these memes mean as well. Um, but there's one in particular this morning that I want to share with you that I think gets the point. I think we've got it for the screens here. Right. Uh, Inigo Montoya talking here, right? And uh, th this is in response to the continuous use of the word inconceivable, right? This is, this is over and over again in the movie. And he says, you keep using that word. I do not think that word, that it means what you think it means. Now, this is helpful because oftentimes in communication, we are talking to each other and we keep using the same word, but we are not speaking the same language. Because what we think that word means uh, is not what the other person thinks that it means. 
And we end up talking over each other and we end up talking around each other because of our inability to actually communicate and agree on what a word means. And been really unique over the last decade or so, last 15 years uh, in the North American church is that one of these words that we can't seem to agree as to what it means, that we keep arguing about with each other, is the word justice. And we have very different ideas as to what justice is. And, and it's sort of surprising to me that in the church we find ourselves actually arguing about justice and about its use and how appropriate it is for the people of God. And I, see, I seem to find that uh, the, when people would use the word justice in our culture, they sort of have sort of two extremes that they sort of fall on the spectrum of. Now I'm going to paint with a really broad brush right here, but it, it, I think it's just helpful for thinking about it. And on one end of the spectrum is what I like to call Batman justice. Right? I think Batman justice, you know exactly what that is the second you hear it. Right? It is retribution. Bad people do bad stuff and they got to pay. Right? And this is a justice that unquestionably um, uh, exists in a large way in our culture. Right? And there is good in that because we want bad people to stop doing bad things. Right? We want to protect the innocent. We want to live in a society that, that makes sure that it is not okay to steal and to murder and, and, and all of these things, right? We can come up with our list within it. But, but lost in Batman justice is any sort of hope, any sort of actual movement towards healing. Like when I, one of the questions I often ask people about our country is, I said, so in our country, the, the, the home of the free, the land of the brave, right? We are better at one thing than any other country in the world, and that is incarcerating people. We, we, we incarcerate more of our population and more human beings than any other country in the world. So in our mind, does that make us good at justice or bad at justice? Is that a sign that we're doing things well or that we're missing something within that? Now, on the other end of the spectrum is something that I call, I call cheerleader justice. And this is sort of just activism and knowing how to look and speak the part of what the world should look like. And especially in the world of social media, this is easy justice, right? Because in each holiday, you have to know the, the particular quotes to share, right? You find them on social media and you can share them with people. You have to have the right graphic t-shirt that shows you were on the in crowd, Right, of, of the right sort of movements in the world. You have to shop in the right places and before the right things and against the wrong things. And there's really a lot of good in that, especially around the word tolerance. Right? There's been a lot of work in the last 25 years in our culture around the word of tolerance. Uh, tolerance is generally much better than intolerance. Right? I, don't, I don't feel the need to argue or prove that to you. Generally, I think we know that. But what, I've, what I find as I spend time in crowds that highly value tolerance is that some of the greatest prophets of tolerance are really intolerant people. That quite often, they have no room for grace or mercy for those who, who don't believe what they believe or operate outside the lines they've drawn for what should be tolerated. And we get sort of the same extreme that we get in Batman justice. It just shows up differently within that. And so for us as Christians, there, there, there begs this question for us, what does justice mean for us? Because justice is inescapable for us because God created justice. God's heart is justice. As we read through scripture, there is no escaping that this is what God does and this is what God is passionate about. Uh, one of the ways this sometimes is hidden from us is in the New Testament, 
where in the New Testament we often find the word righteousness, right? Jesus is described as the righteousness of God, but that actual word is literally the word for justice also. And in some places we translate it justice, and sometimes we translate it righteousness. But it's the same word, rooted back into the same Hebrew meanings. And so for us, there is this central question of what does justice mean for us? And I hope, what does God say justice is? How does God define justice? And so I think if we're, if, if we're going to be followers of Christ, that the very, I have a very, very small suggestion for us. I think I hope that we can all agree on as a beginning point for any of this, which is this. Jesus is the justice of God. That Jesus, as the fullness of the representation of who God is, that Jesus, as the perfect example of what we know about God, is God's justice, is God's righteousness. And so everything we know about God can be known in Jesus. There's nothing about God that contradicts what we see in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And so if we want to understand justice, the place we go back to over and over again is not what the world teaches us. It's not the justice department or the justice system. It's not a social justice movement. We don't look to the world for justice. We look to Jesus. And then we allow Jesus to inform how we live in the world in pursuit of justice. So let's, let's go through scripture a little bit to see how that plays out and how that might alter our understanding of justice in the world and how that ties back then to our story with Free the Girls within this. I think as we go through scripture, we find some really beautiful examples of how the heart of God for justice is revealed over and over again. Right? So let's start in everybody's unquestioned favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Right? I've yet to have anybody who actually admitted that was their favorite book of the Bible within this, right? And just a little shout out for Leviticus. It is the only book in the Bible entirely about worship. So while it's weird and it's way disconnected from our culture, there are some really amazing things in the book of Leviticus, okay? So Leviticus chapter 25 um, may be one of the most astounding uh, passages of all of Scripture, and I know very few people who have any idea what it says. Leviticus 25 is where God explains to Israel how God wants the economy designed. Do you know God designed an economy? Well, he set his people up as a nation to live as a light to the world and to, to rethink how they should live in the world. And he set them up with an economy. And God's economy features two things that are pretty radical. The first was Sabbath. And that was every seven years, God said, I want you to chill. Don't plant that year. I will provide enough for you naturally and there will be enough harvest that grows up. I want you to do other sort of work and I want you to do this so that you'll be reminded that everything you have and everything you earn is actually from me. I don't want you to lose sight of, of, of your work and, and your ownership of this. And in the year of Sabbath, there were no boundary markers on the fields. Anybody could go harvest whatever they found anywhere. And so it, it rooted them back in community in the sense of belonging to one another. It was a work against like being sucked into working and earning in a way that's destructive to us. And then God said, okay, I want you to live into that rhythm. And after seven Sabbaths, so 49 years, because every seven years, on the 50th year, I want you to hit the reset button on the economy. I want you to hard boot it. Right? You know when your computer uh, gets all locked up and nothing will work and you get the blue screen of death and you got to hold down the power button in hopes that it'll like restart entirely because nothing's working anymore? That's what God designed for his economy. And it was called Jubilee. And the idea in Jubilee was all debts are canceled. 
Everybody who's been trapped in poverty and had to sell themselves into slavery or servanthood, they're set free. And everybody whose inheritance was lost because of bad luck or mismanagement or whatever, they're going to get it back. They get back their land for their family. So that there would not be a culture with the extreme of landowners, a rich elite, and those trapped in immense poverty. God desired for there to be mercy and redemption possible in the economy. Now, we have no evidence the people of God ever paid attention to these commands. No evidence. No evidence historically that Jubilee ever happened. Sabbath seemed to have happened in different forms or whatever within that. We have no evidence the year of Jubilee ever happened. And I think actually much of what happens in the Old Testament about the ups and downs of the kingdom of God is rooted in their inability to, to, to live into this very basic requirement God laid out for them. Because what we find over and over again is that the kings and those in power never wanted to give it any of it up. If the systems benefited them at the expense of others, that was okay so long as they still benefited from the system. We find this in Jeremiah 22 as the prophet is speaking to a king, right? And uh, in, in this Jeremiah 22, the prophet is speaking to a king whose dad was pretty good at this, but now this king is really bad at this. And in particular, what, what, he, what the, the king is being held accountable for here is that they, have no longer, they are no longer embodying God's heart for his people. But now the king is taking advantage of God's own people for their own gain. In fact, the king has had the people build a big palace for them. So they'd be like all the other kings, but they didn't pay the workers. They didn't take care of God's people within it. And they were creating a greater and greater divide between the king and the people within that. And so the prophet says, because you have done this, everything you've been given stewardship over now will be taken from you. As a matter of fact, the whole kingdom of Israel will be taken from you and from those in power. You'll be sent away in exile so that you can relearn the lessons I've given you about whose everything belongs to and what it is to be the people of God. And so when we have Jesus arrive on the scene, now as the, the God in our flesh, we now see that when Jesus lives out Jesus' ministry of the kingdom, that Jesus begins to put flesh and actual action to all of the things we see throughout the Old Testament around the heart of God when it comes to justice. Right? So in Luke chapter 4, for example, um, Jesus here is, uh, he's in his hometown of Nazareth, right? Hometown guy going to, preach to, going to preach to his crowd, his hometown crowd at his synagogue there. And uh, on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue and they gave him a, a scroll uh, to read from, from the prophet Isaiah. And this is in Luke 4, uh, starting in verse 18. And Jesus now, reading from the prophet Isaiah, begins to explain to the people who he is and what it is he has done on their behalf. What he is, he is coming to do as the child of God. So in Luke 4, 18, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And er eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
So as Jesus does this, as Jesus proclaims to his hometown what it is he is doing, what they've been hearing about, he goes back to Isaiah 62 here and quotes from the prophet and says, I have come now so that those who are at most at the margins of our society, those who are being crushed under the systems that exist, the poor, the oppressed, those in jail, those who are suffering physically, I am going to restore them to bring healing to them, to bring good news to them. And that good news was not merely, one day you'll die and you'll go to heaven. Jesus never said that. Jesus came to bring actual good news in their needs in that moment for those people. When Jesus is doing this, he's, he's, he's hearkening back to these, some of these passages from Jeremiah and Leviticus. Jesus is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He's proclaiming jubilee. That Jesus is going to bring about the restoration of humanity and the healing of the land. Not just on some sort of spiritual level. Not just on a, I get a golden ticket so that one day when I die, I'll go to heaven way. But in actually making the world work sort of way. Fixing broken systems. Fixing the economy. Fixing prisons. Fixing physical ailment. Jesus came to bring a healing to all of that. And so when we say Jesus is the justice of God, I think we go to a passage like Luke 4 and we begin to understand that the justice of God goes far beyond anything like retribution. That God's work in the world, what God has always been doing, has been bringing about the healing and reconciliation of the world. That the salvation Jesus came to bring is a holistic, beautiful, rehumanizing salvation to help every person be made whole in Christ. And so we as the people of God, when we enter conversations around justice, should always be asking ourselves, are we trying to bring about the fullness of Jesus' justice? Are we trying to help those who have been marginalized and ignored and oppressed in our world have full embodied life together in the presence of God? I think Jesus calls us to a much bigger, more beautiful imagination for what justice can become. Because I think when we use that word, our primary struggle is, we just don't think it's beautiful enough. I don't think we have a big enough imagination for it. So this morning, I hope to expand your imagination a little bit for what justice might be and how we might live it out as a people. So for the past 12 years, I've gotten the privilege of being part of this organization, Free the Girls. And it started uh, because a guy I went to college and seminary with, Dave Terpstra, uh, who is now who's a missionary in Mozambique, um, uh, had this idea where he went to Mozambique as a missionary, but it wasn't to start churches. Because, see, the church is already there. Like, there's like 100,000 just Nazarenes in Mozambique, right? Jesus is, is, is well at work in Mozambique. But Dave went there because what one of the major issues is is extreme poverty. It's like one of the fourth or fifth poorest nation on earth. And so even amongst the church there, pastors couldn't feed their kids, they couldn't fund anything, and they were unable to move out of the cycle of poverty. So Dave's uh, calling, he's an entrepreneur, was to go and to start businesses to help support the work of the kingdom there. And he runs a gym, and at one point he had a taco truck, and he's done all sorts of stuff within that. But one idea in particular was, um, he found this woman, Leonore, who was running a safe home for women who had come out of prostitution, who had been survivors of sex trafficking. Um, and in talking with her, he realized that the major issue, one of the major issues these women were facing and moving out of this life and changing the trajectory of their life was they didn't have jobs. 
Many of them had been trafficked as, as children, 12, 13 years old. No education. They almost all had children. They had medical issues. And the immense uh, realities of the trauma that they had faced. And so Dave was like, well, maybe we can at least help them form jobs. Uh, what, 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 what would we do for this? So as he walked around the capital city, Maputo, there, he saw women selling bras on the street corners. And he thought, well, I don't know anybody who collects bras. And, and he's also a dude, so he's like, I actually don't know if there are any bras to collect. I'll be honest. I have no idea. So he called his friend Kimba and said, like, Kimba, do women have bras to donate? She's like, every woman I know has two or three bras in the back of a drawer with no idea to do with them. And he's like, well, I was thinking maybe we could collect bras and we could, we could teach the women to sell them running their own little micro-enterprise, their businesses, and that maybe this would help the women who are being served within this. It started off as a really small dream to help three or four women. Twelve years later, the reality is that Free the Girls now serves not only in Mozambique, which is our longest-running program, but we had a program in Uganda for years. We're now in Costa Rica. We're in El Salvador. And this past year, we just opened up Free the Girls Mexico. Uh, and we have about six other countries on the list of uh, potential partners in the next two years within this. And what God has continually showed us through this work of Free the Girls is that if we commit ourselves to justice— to showing up amongst those who most desperately need to be experienced a rehumanizing presence of God, amazing things can happen and the kingdom of God can break out. Let's take Ophelia, for instance. We've got a picture of Ophelia. She's one of our first women uh, from, in, in Mozambique in our programs. Uh, and she, from the get-go of what we started, was incredibly enthusiastic and very effective at selling bras. Right? She, she expanded her work incredibly. And so the women work through our program for about two to three years, and then we want them to graduate because we don't want them to be dependent. We're not teaching them dependency on us. We want them to graduate and to go rebuild the life that they want. And Ophelia did that, and she went out and she got a job. As a matter of fact, she started working for a nonprofit that uh, cares for children of other women who are caught in prostitution. So not only now is she experiencing redemption, and has moved out of this life and healing, but now she is going back into the issue to provide healing and to work for and to care for these children who are at risk. So Ophelia came to us and asked for a grant. We have this incredible, uh, this program called the Inheritance Project. And if women uh, who graduate our program are able to save money, then we'll match their money and even multiply it uh, for them to go pursue what it is they want. And she came to us and said, I wanna buy some land. Now, this always makes us happy because this is literal Jubilee stuff here when slaves get to buy land again, to own a piece of the earth. This is, this, is, this is what Jesus promised. And so we're really excited about that. And we said, Ophelia, great, can we go and get a picture of you and putting your name on the contract and in your name? And she said, uh, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not my name going on the land. It's my daughter's name. Because she already owned land for herself. But now she was creating an inheritance for her daughter so that her daughter would not get trapped in the same systems of poverty, the same systems of exploitation, so that she would have the ability to build a new life within that. I think we have another picture of the land, a larger picture of it within this. And so Ophelia now has, owns, owns a house and her own land, and now her daughter owns land too. And her daughter will be able to build a house there and build a life for herself within that. Costa Rica, uh, the women we work with there, and I think we've got a picture of some of our women in Costa Rica, along with uh, Joe Juarez, who's on the left there. He's our inventory manager. He's the guy who deals with all the brawls that show up in Chesterton. And um, Joe was down in Costa Rica in December because uh, we were holding our first ever graduation there. And now in Costa Rica, it's been a really interesting uh, work because um, in Costa Rica, prostitution is not illegal. It, this is a, a weird thing in the international world. Uh, it's not legal. It's just not illegal. 
So it's, a, it's considered a viable occupation for women. But it's only viable for them because they have literally no other options. It's, it's prostitute themselves or, or starve, or their children starve. Right? They, ha- they have no viable options. Uh, and so uh, th- he was down there, and these are uh, women who were able to be part of that and that graduation. And as he heard their stories, he was just sort of overwhelmed by the beauty that he heard within this. But in particular, uh, and I think we had a picture of their actual graduation. We had this great big ceremony for them, uh, and they were, we just celebrated everything they had done and what they were going on to do and the lives they were building uh, and what they were going to do within that. Uh, one of the women uh, in the picture there was going on. She got a job working at a local soup kitchen that was providing meals for uh, the homeless in her area, but especially those caught in addiction. And as part of her story of coming out of that, she had actually overcome her addiction and was now living sober and wanted to use this as, as part of her giving back to her community to help heal her community. And so now she has a, a safe place to live and a job and is able to be part of the healing of her community out of what she's experienced within that. We have another woman in Costa Rica who just joined our program after the graduates left. She's 62 years old, and she's the oldest woman who's ever joined one of our programs. She worked uh, in the red light district in the city there from the time she was 18 until she was 52 years old. I, I don't know what words capture that life other than literally hell. That is a life lived in hell. She's been able to get out of that, move beyond it, but the major issue is she has no other means of providing for herself. Our program partners down there sent us a video of her on the, after she had come through and was now beginning her program, the day she got her first box of bras. And she was overwhelmed with joy because now she had something other than herself to sell to provide for herself. Just joy overwhelmed by, by, by the life she could now build for herself. So the longer we've had the privilege of serving women who are survivors, who have been caught in modern-day slavery and do this, the more God has continued to expand my imagination for what justice might be. And to, to, to long for churches to be the place and to be the people who are showing the world what justice can be. We're showing the world that that followers of Christ understand there is something bigger and more beautiful possible in this world beyond just charity, beyond retribution, but in the healing and the reconciling of what is broken in our world. And so I give thanks for you here at Living Hope and for the ways in which you do that. I'm thankful for your partnership with us at Free the Girls, but I know your work for being part of that goes far beyond that. It's one of the things I love about, about, I love about your church and about Rich's Heart is about how you have continually sought ways of, of being part of God's healing in the world, both locally and internationally. But this morning, as I tell you those stories, I, I, I'm hoping that the, the Spirit of God is beginning to speak at you and to, to grab hold of you and, frankly, to make you uncomfortable so that you begin to dream that possibly there's something more God is calling you to. Perhaps there's something more that God wants to pull you into when it comes to experiencing justice and being part of God's embodied justice in the world that he calls us to as the church. I mean, we're, we're certainly 
very open to it being, you being part of that with us here at Free the Girls, right? <laughs> this is one of the joys I have is I get to travel around the country and talk to people and say, hey, if you want to be part of helping to transform more lives and justice around the world, we have an unlimited opportunity to do so. Right? And so I put some cards at your table, and you can find out some more about there. There's also, I think, a slide with some contact information for us about um, if you want to join in with Free the Girls, become a monthly giver, help us dream things. Like, we're, we're continually trying to expand our dreams at Free the Girls. Right? We're, we've expanded beyond just bra selling and economic empowerment to trying to provide a host of reintegration services for our women. We want to make sure that their families are able to move uh, in, deeper into community and to be transformed within that. we got 15 women in Mozambique who've bought houses. We're going to go rewire their houses so they actually have electrical and it works. Because otherwise it's hard to their kids to learn and to be able to study and to do these things, right? We're moving beyond a host of that. So if you want to part with us or find out more about that, we'd love to talk with you about that. But, but we recognize we're one really tiny little piece of what God's doing in the world and what God wants to do in the world. And so I really challenge you to open yourselves up to this idea that the call to follow Jesus is the call to be a people of justice. That righteousness in itself is an embodied reconciliation and healing of the world. So what, what is God calling you to? What is God calling y'all to as a church as far as becoming a living embodiment of this so that when the world is arguing about justice, you instead just get to invite them into an experience of something much richer and more beautiful rooted in the life of Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give you thanks for inviting us along this path, along this way to be your people. We give you thanks that, that you have not merely come to, to save us so that one day we'll be in eternity with you, but you have come so that we may begin living into eternity now, that your salvation, that your kingdom has come. And we pray that it would come here, that it would be done, your will would be done, your kingdom would come here in Valpo, in Northwest Indiana, in our country, and across the globe, that it would be done here as in heaven. That you would help us as your people be the place that people long to be present with because we have justice, healing, reconciliation, mercy, and embrace of others, that all of those things would define us in a way that the world would look for us to lead the way and how to make things better. And so this morning, we just open ourselves up to your spirit. We try to open up some space to listen to you. We know the issue isn't that you're not speaking to us. No, the issue is far too often we are slow to hear and slow to take action. So we ask that you would lead us forward in this, that you would meet us in this place and teach us again what it is to be your people, that even as we come and we gather and we're made one people by the broken body, by your blood, that we would be reminded that you have this work in the world that you have called us to, and we would be empowered to be part of it. And so we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus has taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, the musicians are going to come and lead us, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, before we do that, let's bow our heads and pray one more time. God, we are so grateful that you showed up in the midst of our mess, not to condemn us, not to merely punish us, but instead to restore us, to redeem us, to make us new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that today we can meet you at your table, remembering the, the price that you paid to break the power of sin and death and to set us free to enact the justice of God here in our lives, here in our world. We offer to you today these gifts of bread and juice and pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves And pray that you will forgive our sins. Forgive, forgive us for those wrong things that we have done that we should not have done. And forgive us, God, for those times when we should have taken action and did not. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to do what needed to be done. That you were willing to give yourself fully, completely. We remember that on that night that you were betrayed, you met with your disciples and you gave them the bread. You broke it and said, this is my body given for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. You took the cup and you said, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. So we do remember, Lord Jesus, the love that you have shown us, the grace that you fill our hearts with so that we can be a people of love, a people of grace in the world. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, uh, as we sing, I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. You're invited to come forward, take bread, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. Uh, or if you're at the tables and you'd rather just use one of the little cups, you can, you can do that as well. This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are hungry for his grace, who are eager to participate in the good work he is doing here in the world. Let's celebrate. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Thy power and thine alone 
change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. trophies down all down at Jesus feet Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow he washed it white as Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as Thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your love. Thank you for seeing ordinary messed up people like us and so desiring for a relationship with us, so desiring to work with us and through us that, that you were willing to come to us, Lord Jesus, to take our sin on yourself and by your death and resurrection, conquer the powers of sin and death and set us free. Help us to live in that freedom. Help us to go from this place confident in your love, confident in your power, confident that you are leading us each and every day into opportunities to share your love and your grace with those you send us to. We are so grateful. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.